0: Over the last 20 shutdowns, 12 months following the shutdown, the S&P 500 was up 13 percent and the average return is up approximately 8 percent. So you've got about a 500 basis point bid. I don't know if we can assign attribution or causation to that, but, you know, what the historical data is telling us that it's not crippling for the financial markets.
1: From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Hello, Ryan. Hey, John. Good morning. How are you doing today?
0: I'm pretty well, thanks. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. So, I mean, how do What? So, what else you do this weekend, John?
0: Uh, this weekend, kind of recovered, kind of relaxed. Yeah. It was kind of fun. Uh, had been in DC the week before, so we had some good meetings with many of our investors and advisors, and that went over very well. And uh, DC wasn't very crowded. You Could get around DC pretty easily with eight hundred thousand fewer drivers. Unfortunately for those people, uh, hopefully we'll get to some clarity on that soon in fact one of the main topics we're going to be discussing is the government shutdown but tell me a little about your week i was in dc but you were a little farther north
1: that's right john i was obviously we're down here in fort mill south carolina a little warmer but i got to go up to green bay wisconsin the appleton wisconsin area for an advisory event meet with some of our advisors and present it was a lot of fun i like i just talked with you before we started recording i Hopped in the rental car and drove up and saw Lambeau Field. I've never seen it. I just wanted to check it out. It was really, it almost gives you chills. It's just you turn off the highway, you turn right, and boom, there it is. It was really neat to see Lambeau Field. It was cold. I walked around, got a few pictures. Like man, I'm glad to be leaving because it was a little chillier than what they I'm didn't used call
0: to. Call security on you.
1: Well, no. No not not no, not not this time. No incidents that I need to know about. You <laughs> the fifth? Everything no, 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 Con- was convicted, pretty Convicted never, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was icy. I was like, wouldn't it be something if I walk around and I slip and fall and like break a wrist in Lambeau Fields um Parking lot. I thought that'd be almost kind of funny in a weird way, but I fortunately did not fall. But it was definitely icy, and you know, some black ice in that parking lot, no doubt. Well,
0: you, you might have had to wait till September for someone to find you, right? Because they're already <laughs> done with their season. So there
1: actually were a lot of cars in the parking lot. So I was wondering the same thing. They're well, they've just hired a new coach, so maybe that maybe he was there. Who knows? But all right, well, exactly. good deal. Well,
0: I'm glad you're home safe and warm. As I'm sure your family is. Well, in this week's edition of Market Signals Podcast, we want to talk about the government shutdown. Also, I want to talk about the very impressive market recovery we've had from the Christmas Eve lows, but also recognize that some of the challenges uh, that remain. And then finally, a fundamental or two that could really help the market push through even higher will be corporate profits, which will start to be released this week. So let's get started with the government shutdown, Ryan. What what's some of the work you've done on that?
1: Well, John, you know, first things first. As the time of this recording, it's officially the longest government shutdown ever at 24 days. So, you know, 21 I believe was a previous record. But what we've kind of we've you and I discussed this before over the, over the previous uh, you know couple months, talking about potential government shutdowns and just that usually stocks take it in stride. You know, I know you've got some numbers that we just wrote in one of our weekly economic commentaries. But the one thing I pointed out. The last five times they had a shutdown, stocks were actually higher. Now, the average government shutdown is about eight days. Most of them are like two to three days. This is longer. Right. So, John, potentially stocks, and again, let's be honest, stocks are taking this one a stride too, right? We've had a big bounce. Now, there's other reasons markets have bounced, I think, than a government shutdown. But once again, it's another... You know, a good reminder that, you know, government shutdowns are important, and we're not minimizing the impact it could have to specifically the people that obviously are not getting their paychecks. Uh, but, you know, stocks seem to be taking this one in stride as well. What about longer term, though? Could it impact the economy?
0: Well, yes. You know, there's always concerns about consumption, and, you know, we don't want to be dismissive of the pain 800,000 families are feeling without getting a paycheck, mm-hmm. and that's right. and that's not something to be dismissed from an economic impact, what is it, one-tenth of one percent potential mm-hmm. over Three or four-week period, so we see limited economic damage from that standpoint. As you pointed out, the last five government shutdowns, market was essentially flat or rose positively, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And uh, we did some work uh, late last week, and that's uh, announced in this week's weekly economic commentary from LPL Research, and found that over the last 20 shutdowns, 12 months following the shutdown, the S&P 500 was up. 13%, 13%, and the average return is up approximately 8%. So you've got about a 500 basis point bid. I don't know if we can assign attribution or causation to that, right. but you know what the his- historical data is telling us that it's not crippling for the financial markets. And I think that's something to keep in mind because obviously sentiment has been fractured over the past month or two given market performance. So while government shutdown can add to the headlines, add to the duress, emotionally that many investors are feeling, fundamentally we've not found it to be justified to really disrupt things longer term.
1: No, that's right, John. You know, you talk about kind of what some of the economists out there are saying with the fourth quarter GDP. I mean, Jeff Bookbinder, you know, our senior market strategist on staff has pointed out fourth quarter GDP is really about the same, right? So it's not like economists are saying this is going to have a big impact on on necessarily the economy going forward. Um You know, it looks like, according to data we did, John, 12 of the past 20 shutdowns actually had a higher S&P 500. So we'll see if, you know, we can get some type of resolution regarding the shutdown here. Um, But, you know, consumption obviously drives such a big part of the overall economy. We still see consumption. It's not like this is really impacting the average consumer quite yet. You know, should this reach a whole month, you know, five weeks. Could it potentially start to impact, you think, some uh, some spending habits?
0: Absolutely, to the degree that sentiment is fractured. And we've talked about the possibility for self-fulfilling recessions. When we talked in our last podcast about bear market without recession, we addressed the possibility that that could be the case if consumers stop spending, businesses stop investing. But uh, we still maintain that the more important driver for the economy, not only in 2019, but for the economy to extend the length of the expansion is whether or not businesses are gonna start investing again Mm -hmm. because capital investment was up, uh, business expenditures were up 10% in the first half of the year, essentially ground to a halt, maybe 80 base points or up 1% in the third quarter and we're waiting on the fourth quarter data now. Industrial production was up, which kind of was a nice offset to the, the weak manufacturing data, but to the degree that we get clarity on trade that businesses therefore will be more apt to take advantage of immediate expensing and some of the tax incentives for investment as well as you know utilizing some of these repatriated assets it takes a while to put it put it to use we don't think all of it's going to capex by any stretch but right. if a third of it goes to capex that also should be bode very well for economic activity so business investment really is the key
1: Right. Now, you know, one other potential negative from a government shutdown is some of the economic data is on hold, right? We've got the fourth quarter GDP number that comes out, I think it's January 30th, and if the government's still shut down, we probably don't get that number. You know, there's a fun little stat, you know, usually we know Jobs Friday, right? That comes out the first Friday of um of the month when the jobs numbers come out and you look back in history there are sometimes it wasn't the first friday and sure enough that was during some government shutdown so there is the potential that some of this government data um, will be a little obviously a little bit delayed i guess the good news is it sounds like obviously tax returns or some starting start getting our w-2 soon it sounds like our tax returns are not going to be delayed and i'll tell you what if that were the case i think people would be um well, a little more up in arms, real fast, but doesn't sound like that's the case here.
0: That's true. That's true. But you know, when you when you when you think about GDP and you think about some of the data that's already come out, we'll get retail sales, uh, middle of this week. We saw high-profile retailers struggle, but others did very well. And clearly, we we saw north of five percent on holiday sales. Uh, we saw a very mm-hmm. good or encouraging inflation number in the Consumer Price Index recently, so inflation is clearly not a threat for the Federal Reserve, so that bodes well for increased expectations for a pause. We saw a great jobs number. We've seen good income numbers. So those, those all suggest we're, we'll, we should print a 2%-ish type number for the fourth quarter in GDP.
1: Right. So you're talking about good news, John. Maybe let's go to the next subject, markets. Yeah, you know, markets have bounced. We've that's th- why we do this. And that's right. We've had three consecutive weeks of the S&P up at least 1.5%. It's been a while since we've seen something like that. Now, let's not forget, as we laid out, worst fourth quarter since financial crisis, worst December pretty much in history, the first time since 1950. December was the worst month of the year for equities, looking at the S&P 500. So we were historically oversold by a lot of different measures. At the same time, like you said, there's some positive news, and now we've had a pretty good rally. And you know we don't like to always say well we say it like this you know, history doesn't always repeat but it does rhyme and there have been some times when you have a good start to a year that can lead to continued strength I was playing with some numbers on the first five days of the year and the S and P are up over two and a half percent or more the previous twelve times the full year was higher last year this is back to 1950 last year was the first time that didn't work a lot of first times didn't work last year still a good start to year you know it's it's a very small sample size but a good start to year sometimes can be a good thing and we've had a good start to year can this continue you think good start
0: to the year you can look at the election cycle as well mm-hmm. third year tends to be strong we we've talked ad nauseum about the November to November post-election rally the market typically sees. We've also talked about uh, average drawdown in midterm election years, 16%. We were down Mm -hmm. 19.8% at the end of uh, 2018.
1: And that's the largest pullback out of the four-year cycle is the midterm year.
0: That's right. That's right. And 12 Mm -hmm. months later, that average drawdown is 16%, but 12 months later, you're up by a third almost, right? 32, 33%. So you make that and more back. So I think that's something to keep in mind. But with this recent example, S&P 500 hit a low of approximately 23.50 on Christmas Eve. Intraday low was maybe 23.44, I believe, was the number. And that would have been the number that would have gotten us to an official bear market on the S&P 500. Now, we're not splitting hairs. The Russell, the NASDAQ, and a handful of sectors did hit a bear market, but the Dow and S&P escaped the classic definition of a a bear market. But nonetheless, we're up about 10% off those lows. The real key that caused us to pummel or to fall so severely and to sell at such a ferocious pace was when the S&P failed to hold the what we were terming the triple bottom, 2,600 to 2,620 on the S&P 500. We dropped through that like a rock once we failed to hold it. So as we recovered over these past handful of weeks, we've gained that 10% back. There was literally no resistance because we dropped so fast and so far that there were no base camps set up. So now that we're in the 2600-ish range Monday morning January 14th as we're taping this, it'll be interesting to see what is going to be required to push us through this technical resistance?
1: Right. You know, you talk about technical resistance. I mean, an old technical saying is previous resistance can be support or previous support can be resistance. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we we have the triple bottom, we'll call it the Halloween bottom, the Thanksgiving bottom, and the early December bottom. And then the middle of December, that 2,600 ish level gave way to the, the very significant sell off. And then we had a 10% rally in 10 days coming off of December 26 lows. Last time, John, we had a 10% rally in 10 days was July 2009, so obviously a very long time. At the same time, very small sample size, I get it, but not the worst time to be long. So just because you're overbought doesn't mean you can't become more overbought. As we saw in the fourth quarter, when oversold can become more oversold. One thing, and I won't get too technical in in, in this podcast, but there's something called the McClellan Oscillator, an overbought, oversold indicator. You're
0: getting too technical.
1: I'll keep it real simple. (laughs) It was historically oversold. And then it became historically overbought within two weeks, and that's really rare. But that's something that you tend to see at significant market bottoms when a market's very oversold and becomes very overbought in the near term. So those are—I think—we're in the process of trying to carve out those lows. But here's a question, John: Do we go back and test the uh, Christmas Eve lows? You think is that ne- something that's necessary for markets to form a real good bottom here?
0: Retests. Not to of, put you on your spot. Yeah, here. retests yeah. of lows are not the exception; they're the mm-hmm. norm. Right. Mm-hmm. So investors need to be prepared for that. We wrote that in our client letter. We mm-hmm. wrote that in some things that we're you know, trying to get out to our investors. Retests are the norm. And we have to be mindful of that, particularly with the rapid pace with which we've rebounded. Now, what could cause a retest? Well, failure on trade, uh, a more aggressive Fed, terrible earnings season, which we don't project. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the random unpredictable that you know, happens on a Tuesday afternoon that nobody saw coming. That would be a geopolitical source, and hopefully that won't be the case, certainly. But nonetheless, that is a possibility. And we're trying to look at, you know, we call this market signals for a reason, you know, some of the good things we've seen that would suggest we could power through some of this upcoming technical resistance, whether you look at the performance of small caps, whether you look at consumer cyclicals relative to consumer staples, uh, some of the things that we'd like to see to help Give the market more upward mojo would be the percentage of companies trading at 20 day highs. Uh, and to the degree we get half of those companies in the S&P 500 at 20-day highs, forward returns tend to be very positive, and it seems to be more of a sustainable rally. A few concerns, copper is underperforming gold in the mm-hmm. rally. The 10-year, 2-year spread isn't steepening to the degree you would think it would be with a 10% rally in the markets. Not all the the stars are aligned just yet, so it's conceivable we could test the low again. Yeah,
1: now you talk about that 2-10 spread, obviously that's more known as the yield curve. What we're getting at is you know, the yield curve was flattening most of last year year, and that was concerning, and now all of a sudden we're not really getting a steepening yield curve. Also, you know, credit markets, if you think the bond guys are the smartest guys in the room, bond markets were definitely flashing some worrisome signs back in the fourth quarter. What are the credit markets looking like now, John? They've improved a little bit, but are they they kind of that place where we feel more a little more comfortable about stocks here?
0: Yeah, twos, fives is still a bump in the yield curve, mm-hmm. uh, a slight inversion of a two or three basis points. Uh, I guess Fed funds and twos. Two-year treasuries are now hovering at that level as well. But when I see credit, we don't see credit default swap spreads blowing out, Mm -hmm. right? I think that's an important development. While we've seen investment grade and high yield spreads increase over the past couple of months, they're really only increasing to historical averages exactly. and if either of those areas got out of whack it was high yield and they kind of came back right those spreads probably got as high as 525 525 basis points interest rate differential from the average high yield to the 10-year treasury but that's come into about 475 basis points over the last week or
1: two right and let's not forget you know high yield has a large energy component to it that's exactly and right clearly in the fourth quarter we had a really big sell-off in crude oil where crude oil bounce bounced back up above $50 a barrel. So if crude oil, that's one of the concerns in the fourth quarter. We had the Fed, we had China, we had crude oil. Well, crude oil can kind of find some type of a low here, which it looks like it is. That probably will help the high-yield markets and those credit spreads and be one more positive. So, John, And
0: that's also yep, a big mm-hmm. thing, if I may, sure. because the whole idea with energy... You never want to say it's different this time, but it is different this time now that the <laughs> us is the world. You, you don't want to. That. the world's <laughs> largest producer of oil, mm-hmm. and we're the largest swing producer. I mean, we can take fields on and off more quickly than many of our global competitors. So to the degree that lower oil prices were always good for the economy because the consumer had more money because they weren't spending as much on gasoline. It's critical that oil be north of $50 a barrel because that's, if you will, the demarcation line for capital investment because energy-related CapEx is such a large portion of our call for increased investment from businesses in the next year or two. So consequently, now that oil is back above 50 the big producers are less apt to cut capital expenditures for energy-related investment.
1: Right, so that's obviously a big level, and we'll keep watching that. So, John, we've got a few more minutes left. Let's go to the next thing here. Like we hinted at, the next big driver for markets very well could be earnings season. Earnings season kicks off later this week with most of the financials coming out in earnings. I'll set the stage, and I'll hand it off to you. The last three quarters, we've had about 25% year-over-year earnings growth, really solid earnings growth. Now the fourth quarter is coming up. We're looking for more mid-teens-ish area. Um, Do you think we can top earnings? 39 straight quarters now. Earnings have come in better than the expectations. Could this happen once again and how how's this earnings season looking shaping up here?
0: Well, it's conceivable that earnings do come in better than expectations because expectations have been lowballed so much over the past 3 or right. 4 weeks, right? Everyone completely caved in in December with the worst December in what 87, 88 years exactly. for the S&P 500. So, Forecasts did come down, expectations did come down. So beating lowered expectations is a bit of a pyrrhic victory. But nonetheless, you have this opportunity for investors to just reassess and recognize that while the fundamentals supporting the economy and profits might be slowing, they are still very much growing. And I think that's a primary message we've got to get across to investors. We've typically seen this cycle earnings surpass expectations by about three or 400 basis points. So if people are looking at 10 to 12% this quarter, it's conceivable we could see a 15% type number for the fourth quarter. But then it really comes down to guidance for 2019 because right. that's really what's been scaring people.
1: No, that's right. You know, you, we actually wrote in our weekly market commentary this week, we took a look at earnings. And we kind of noted, you know, some of the positives on the earnings front. U.S. economic growth, potential tax cuts are still there, higher oil prices, and share buybacks. All four of those, it's hard to pick a favorite, right? But all four of those together should, should show increasing earnings, like you said, and probably come in a little bit better than expected. I mean, out of those four, John, what do you think? Which one really is going to matter for the upcoming earnings season? Well,
0: I'm going to add a couple things sure. to that when you think about... Um, 5 or 6% sales growth, mm-hmm. and you look at margins still north of 10%. Right. So to the degree you don't have that margin erosion, that adds to, again, you used McClellan Oscillator. So I'll say the elasticity of earnings from a standpoint of a sustainability in margins that higher wages, for example, won't eat in. And to the degree that improved productivity, which we have seen in the second half of of 2018, Mm -hmm. yes, exactly. So to the degree you have improved productivity, the direct result of improved capital investment, that enhances output per worker, so any increase in wages doesn't eat away at margins because workers are being more productive.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Now, I don't think we're kind of reaching the end of the road here, John. I do want to say, you know, next week I won't be on, unfortunately, I won't be on the podcast. I've got to do some travel. Jeff Bookbinder will come in, and Jeff's obviously an earnings expert, so I know you guys are going to dive a lot more into earnings season and kind of what's uh, what's happening. So, you know, let's maybe let's wrap it up like this. So, we've got earnings coming up. What other big events so far, the second half of January, should investors be on the lookout for?
0: Final thought on earnings, yes. uh, you know, there are articles in today's paper, and we've been warning our investors about articles such as this, saying about peak in earnings, peak in earnings, right, peak in earnings. Right. And we want to make the distinction that's a peak in earnings growth, and that may very well have occurred in the third quarter of 2018 when profits were up, what, 25%, year, on yeah, yeah, on a right. year-over-year basis. Our emphasis for earnings is that profits in 2018 are at record levels. They may be growing at or slightly above historically average levels in 2019, but they're still growing. And when you do stock calculations, earnings calculations, you want to take record profits growing at or above historically average rates, yet you're discounting those at interest rates, which are still below long-term averages, enhancing not only the present but future value of that opportunity. So I think that's something that investors really really need to take to heart and also recognize that when we looked at the last 10 profit cycles in our mid-year outlook we found that the time it took from a peak in earnings growth to recession averaged about 4 years over the last 10 profit cycles economic cycles and over that time period the S&P was up by about half so one thing we can guarantee is that won't be a straight line mm-hmm. that's a cumulative return but that's I think something for investors to keep in mind, because that's really when asset allocation and portfolio diversification and some tactical moves in portfolios, rebalancing portfolios toward uh, targeted long-term allocations, I think that's really what benefits investors over the longer term.
1: Right. No, you're right. I mean, that's a great way to sum it up, I think. Just because earnings have quote-unquote peaked, they're still growing, and they very well could grow more than the long-term average, and that's still a positive backdrop along with all those, a lot of those other things we just discussed. Uh, so we'll see, John, how much longer this government shutdown goes. But definitely, everyone, I appreciate being on the podcast this week. Check out our weekly economic commentary that takes a look at government shutdowns, our weekly market commentary that takes a look at overall earnings. And, John, I'll sign it over to you to sign us off.
0: Yeah, thank you, Ryan. And hopefully everyone uh, enjoyed this podcast, talking about the government shutdown, market recovery, and what some of the technical challenges are as we're rising into it, but some of the fundamental supports, backing it, and then finally corporate profits, uh, the driver of everything for equity, so earnings and interest rates. So thank you, everyone. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
1: LPL Market
0: Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch.
1: And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construe as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPO Financial, LLC. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor... Please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.